Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience, which is the fastest way for product VPs to help their product managers and everyone else contributing to products to increase performance. It's not just training, it's a unique experience. It's a unique experience that many have used to really accelerate their teams. It takes place over nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, virtual experience. To find out more, go to productmasterynow.com RPM and see how it might help you as well. This episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm not interviewing someone, but I was interviewed by Tom Leung. He is the host of the Fireside PM podcast. And I had the pleasure of interviewing him for this podcast a little while ago, which will actually be published in a few weeks. Tom asked me to join him on his podcast, and we had the opportunity to discuss several topics, including challenges that product groups and product VPs are dealing with, challenges that are hindering their performance, and how well they can do getting products out that customers actually love. I think you'll find the discussion really interesting, so much that I thought we should put it on this podcast as well. The challenges that we talk about are in more detail in a PDF that you can download. To find this resource and the show notes about this episode, just go to productmasterynow.com slash firesidepm. That's productmasterynow.com slash firesidepm. I hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. Today, I've got Chad McAllister, who I met as a guest on the Product Mastery Now podcast. And we had such an interesting conversation. I said, man, we got to get you on the Fireside PM podcast because we are interested in very similar things. And welcome to the show, Chad. Great, Tom. So pleasure. It's my pleasure to be here with you that we did have a really fun conversation. Looking forward to having more of that. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with you, why don't we start with just a little bit of a background about yourself and and then the podcast. And then we can get into one of the topics that I think both of us are interested in, which is some kind of analysis and kind of common themes you've seen on product teams that need to change to to kind of reach their full potential. But we'll start with the the Chad McAllister story. Uh, that sounds great. I'll, I'll try to keep this fairly brief. I just I think there's some good connection points to others that are in product. I was one of these kids growing up that took everything apart because I wanted to see how things work and how things were made and ended up going to school for electrical engineering. Joined a small team that was a fantastic experience because in small teams you do everything. Mm-hmm. And we, we went from a engineering company more to a focus on software, software development. And I could write code, but I should not be writing code. Not the best use of my skill set. So there's others that are so much faster than me. But I grew into the role of leading the teams, developing the products, and really enjoyed working with customers and uh, making products. And I thought my, of myself as a project manager. That, mm-hmm. That's what I was doing, was managing our projects. And over time, I realized there were some things that the project management disciplines weren't helping me with. It's like, well, how do you really, where do the requirements come from for projects? I was spending a lot of time with customers and understanding what they need. And there's more to this project work than project. If I go to Project Management Institute, then they're telling me what I need to know about. And one day I went looking for some other information about that. And I stumbled across this thing called, you know, product disciplines and a professional association that actually helped put together kind of a body of knowledge. And I was 10 years into my career at this point before I even knew there was a thing called product management and working with that. And that was just a good eye opener to there's really resources out there to help us as product people to do a better job. And I got fascinated with the problem along the way, which is why sometimes do we create a product that people love? And why sometimes do we create a product that people are like, eh, you missed it. Mm -hmm. And apparently we do the same sort of things and we get two different outcomes at times. That fascination with that problem did lead me back to do a PhD in innovation along the way. And had no plans of teaching after that, but go figure, that, that was one thing that happened. So these days I teach innovation and product management for a few universities as an adjunct faculty, online graduate programs, and also help companies do a better job developing products for their customers. Very cool. What, what's your opinion of undergraduate students learning product management? I kind of, of I'm of two minds on product management education in general. On the one hand, I feel like, well, there's nothing. When I was growing up and getting my degrees, there there was very little available in terms of learning about product management. 
And so part of me is like, yeah, we should do have more curriculum available to students in, in a formal educational environment. The other part of me feels like a big part of product management is creative problem solving and leadership. And it's not like uh, you can't really break it down as kind of here's the, the operating manual for, for being a great PM and that every project I've been on like requires a different set of skills. Or of course, there's overlap. Do you feel like the discipline is mature enough, even at the undergraduate level, to start training future PMs? Great question, and lots of facets to this. Uh, right now, there's just not a lot of options, right, at the undergraduate mm-hmm. level. We're just starting in the last few years to see some options at the graduate level for education in product work itself. Entrepreneurship has been, and there's some, but a little bit more of a focus on product. There's not too many things you can do at the undergraduate level to go find help with this. I do think the discipline itself, there's a lot of resources that are good for people to know about. So mm-hmm. if we look back at the history, this thing that we call product management seems to have taken shape in the 1930s or so at uh, P&G, and they called it their brand manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of grew up from that. This person responsible for, well, where do our products go next? What kind of problems are we solving for our customers, and what do we do? And... There's been a lot of good research contributed along the way and a lot of things that we know from companies that excel in these spaces that work well. I'm actually right now, excuse me, I'm one of the authors for what will be the third edition of the Body of Knowledge for Product Management. And this is something that PDMA, they're the Product Development and Management Association, has been producing. They've put together a Body of Knowledge, I think in 1999, and they've had a book. So before it was kind of a collection they pointed to, right? They, you know, mm-hmm. These books, these articles, these resources speak to a lot of the aspects of what we should be thinking about for product management. And then in, I'm trying to think when the first edition of this book came out, probably uh, 2016-ish, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they finally got around to to putting this together in a more tangible form, a book form. So people that are familiar with project management and the PMI, uh, Project Management Institute, they've done this for a long time, right? And it's nice to have one book you can go to and say, oh, these are some of the big buckets of categories that product managers should be thinking about to do a better job. And um, I got myself, uh, I didn't try to do this, but I got invited to be part of the team writing the third edition of that book, which Wiley will produce, uh, publish sometime next year. So I, I do think it's still maturing in many respects and will, right? And like mm-hmm. you said, on every project, we learn something new. And there's this interesting combination of, of leadership and working through the dilemma of having lots of responsibility and, and not real any authority. And how do we influence the project team and the stakeholders that are, are involved and a lot of it for me breaks down to I get overwhelmed thinking of all the things that we could be doing. What should I and the team be doing right now in the development life of this project of you know, for creating a new product? And getting your hands around that body of knowledge is helpful. I'm not sure if I got to your actual question. I, I do find the people I intercept with the most typically have a good deal of experience, right? The five, 10 years or more experience in product mm. before they often start talking to me. And I've tried to work with people that are earlier in their career and try to tell them about the things they need to know for product management. And I do think there's some just practical experience that is needed to get there. It's like an MBA program. We we Mm -hmm. want people joining MBA programs that have some prior business experience. Without it, it, none of it makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like uh, venture capital in that it's largely an apprenticeship type profession. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could take classes on valuations and, and this and that, but it seems like you learn a lot on the job and often kind of if you have a mentor or you can work with someone who's kind of been there and done that a few times and observe what they're up to. But it sounds, and, and remind us, what is the name of this third edition of the book? That It sounds fantastic. So I want to make sure we, we keep an eye out for it. I, I wish I had that in front of me, but the association is PDMA. And uh-huh. so they're a professional, they're the oldest existing professional association now for product managers and developers. And innovation should be part of their title, but it's just not in there. People that are concerned about developing products that customers love. And products can be services as well. And it's been a volunteer-led organization for a long time. And oddly enough, a lot of people don't know about it. 
Uh, ah. they, they have a deep history in the space and provide some good resources. And the, the book is something like PDMA's Guide to the Body of Knowledge for Product Management. Yeah, I think I may have found it. Hold on. Let me yeah, pull the it second up. edition is on Amazon. It's on PDMA's site. And that looks like it. Yeah, that thing at the certification top. of body of knowledge. Huh. I did not even know about this, so I'll have to check that out. What are going to be some sort of changes in the third edition? Is it going to be like update to existing stuff, or is it going to be more new topics that weren't covered in previous editions? Yeah, yeah, largely updates, simplifying some things, making mm-hmm. things more understandable in the body of knowledge. Some additions, some deletions as well. Practices that are still helpful, but just not as common, right, that will be removed. And adding some more examples, updating some examples, and letting people get their hands around. They organized the body of knowledge in a way that makes sense for me, uh, probably because the, the, this was my aha moment, right? This was the first thing I got exposed to when I was figuring out how I, I wasn't just a project manager. I was doing this product sort of work. Mm-hmm. And so their body of knowledge is organized around strategy and how organizational strategy should influence our, our product strategy. Portfolio management, what do you do when you have more than one product to mm-hmm. work with in the organization? Process, which is largely focused on how do we go from that idea, get into something tangible to become a product, and then you know, bring it to launch. So the process, processes that one can choose to use for teams and team structures and how do you manage the team, work with the team, get higher performance out of the team. Market research is in there. How do we understand the customer better? And then what they call um, innovation management, which is really what happens after the product does go to the market and how do we manage it throughout its life cycle. See more customers come on board and it grow and sooner or later decline. And how do you deal with that life cycle? Well, that's exciting. It sounds like you cover quite a range and it'll be coming out. I'm trying to decide now, should I? Yeah, get the second edition for the third. Second is very valuable. The, The side note on this, which is fascinating to me, is the... So part of my interest in PDMA was that at the time I got joined up with them, they were doing local chapters. It was an opportunity to meet with other product people, right? And mm-hmm. in some way complain about how hard this role is and, and what do we need to know and figure this out. And that was just a great opportunity. But they do have the certification, that thing you mentioned on the title, the mm-hmm. MPDP. <clears throat> and I thought, well, what how, what are they talking about when they say product management? What is this thing? And I, I did the certification and I uh, found that really helpful. That certification is fastest growing in China, mm. and China is certifying more people in product management than anywhere, many fold. I, I don't know what that number actually is, but I'm sure it's mm. at least 10 times as much as the U.S. And it, things work different, differently there. There's a, my understanding, there's a central organization that does professional certifications, and they're using this one from PDMA. But I think the bigger picture is China is making a true commitment to yeah, we, we want to be the innovation force in the future, and we're yeah. training people now. Wow. Yeah. So there, there are a second edition. That will be the case for a long time. The third edition, I'm not sure when the actual publication date is, but that's going to be towards the end, probably end of summer, sometime around summer next year. Okay. It yeah. might be worth it to pick up the second and then maybe the third when it's available. Yeah, it's going to be in, in use for a while for sure, so... Yeah, I was just looking at some of the the content of the current one. And just as you mentioned, you've got strategy, portfolio management, innovation process, tools, market research, leadership, innovation management. Yeah, this is great. I'll have to check it out. Tell us a little bit about the Product Mastery Podcast. I'm so blown away by approaching 400 episodes. I just found out this last week that because I don't pay attention to the stats a lot, I don't know how they compare, but I get emails every day from some PR company asking for to be a guest. So they apparently have access to better databases. Apparently it is a top 1% podcast in the business category. Wow. I'm like, wow. You know, but my first thought was, that's a really low bar must be to get into the top. <laughs> but I get emails and people call some of the time that really appreciate the, just like we're having now, it's just a mm-hmm. discussion about these topics. Like you were a guest on it because I mm-hmm. like to find people that really have, have good, deep experience and can share knowledge with the listeners. And, and we need this. We, we need help understanding more about it. what does it really mean to think like a product person and how do you lead product and, and how do you help mentor and as a growing product person what are the things I should be thinking about it started a little more than seven years ago 
It was a way for me to bring knowledge to the product community and mm -hmm. frankly have interesting conversations with people that would probably be otherwise hard to get to. I probably would not have had the chance to talk with you. And you have this vast wealth of experience and product. And we had that such a wonderful, engaging conversation. The podcast made that possible. That, that's been my labor of love to share, share knowledge with the community, but also, gosh, I get to talk to interesting people. Oh, likewise. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get you into the fireside chat. And Pleasure. I'm curious, after doing hundreds of these interviews on Product Mastery, do you find that there are, like, how much diversity of perspective do you see? Because even just with this you know, kind of embryonic podcast over here, I think we're up to like maybe five or 10 guests. And it's, I've been impressed at how different people, the approaches are to to product. And I'm curious what you've noticed in terms of differences and maybe some similarities. I think there's some big themes that work through for th things that we should know about and how to approach things. The It's easy to look at product because it's become such a hot topic in maybe the last now five years or so. And there was an article in, I think this showed up in the Wall Street Journal, and the title article is something like the hot new title of graduating MBAs are is product manager. And mm. it talked about what this means. And there was a lot of written around the time the two most powerful roles in uh, startup organizations, especially in Silicon Valley area. It was the CEO and the product manager. And there was a lot of new emphasis placed on this role. Mm. And I remember about, about that time going to a local a product meetup, and it was a panel discussion of people doing product work. And one of the guys on the panel said, I've been doing this since before there, there was product management. I've been doing this for 10 years. And it, it's there is the spectrum of perspectives that you've been in it. But the reality is, like I said, it goes back to about the 1930s that we're aware of. I, we can probably think about it in other ways, but that's clearly a, a strong link. And PDMA has had this body of knowledge that they've pointed to since about 1999. And they've been doing uh, lot, lots of research with companies to try to get their hands around kind of the best practices. So there's certainly different ways to think about it. We all come across that. What really is this thing? But I think there's big norms that help us through the work. And maybe a related question, you know, what makes a good product master? Sorry, what makes a good product <laughs> manager? As I talk in terms of we're all becoming product masters on this journey. The key one for me is curiosity about the customer. It's, you know, mm. when, I, when I was a boy taking stuff apart, I just cared about how stuff worked. And maybe that's why I ended up doing engineering. And I didn't really care about the customer. But along the way, that's the thing that really got me energized was, oh, I finding out new details about their problem. And like, no one has see seen this yet. No one's providing yeah. you a solution. No one's creating you additional value for that. Well, we, we can help with that. And product people that are curious about that, at least they're the ones I want to work with. And I think that's a key characteristic of good product people. I totally agree. I mean, I have worked in a lot of different technology organizations and some of them with incredible engineering and technical capabilities. And it never ceases to amaze me how much effort we put into these like really complex technical solutions. But sometimes we, we kind of fall in love with it and we don't put as much time into really deeply understanding the user, the customer, because often they're different, and just sort of the environment that they're in. And I remember years ago, I used to write a, a PM blog, no longer. But one of my favorite posts was about what the heck happened with Google Wave, which was this incredible technical achievement back in like, I think, 2000 and maybe 10 or 11 or around there. and I remember watching the the demo and at sort of some developer conference and people were standing on their chairs, like giving, you know, mm. ovations and lifting their laptops in the air about like how amazing this kind of real time synchronization was possible across continent and all this stuff. And the product itself never took off. And it was in search of a problem <laughs> to solve, mm -hmm. but so much effort, literally years of engineering development had been put into this. And then like, it just, it seems like a lesson we often learn over and over again. And I'm wondering like, 
why is it that we have to keep relearning this lesson? Because, you know, we're all sentient beings and like we should be able to remind ourselves, but we keep repeating this over and over. Like you always see people describe their companies almost tech first. Like, wow, we're such and such technology company. We're an AI company. We're, we're, we're like back in the day, like a Bluetooth company. We're a dot-com company, but they were never really focused on customers, maybe with the exception of Amazon, you know. Why yeah. do you think we keep doing this? We all come across this, and I've talked to guys when I was doing my dissertation work that were around doing computer science work in the early 60s mm-hmm. and the things that they ran into. And like Scrum became a thing in the late 90s and then more across organizations since then. But you look at those concepts and then you talk to these guys doing the work in the early 60s. They ran into all the same issues. They were doing Scrum-like work because they figured out that that made a difference for them. I figured out the same thing before there was a book on that. And right, none of us just took the time to write the book. And we do. There's a cycle of running into the problems. This is Eric Reese's you know, lean startup. This is his catalyst mm-hmm. for creating lean startup, which is... Why do we build products that no one wants? That we think these are beautiful inventions and, and turns out that no one wants them. And you said something that made me think of a key recommendation that I've been making a lot to people lately. And it came out of this work that I, I do with companies called the Rapid Product Mastery Experience and, and take their product people and others on, on a journey over nine weeks. We meet once a week for a set of five minutes each time to help them do a better job creating products. And th- this change from the notion of what we do, like I'm an electrical engineer, I'm a computer scientist, I, what is the work you do to more of a focus on what's the problem we solve mm-hmm. is a sh- subtle shift and a really important one that can push cultures. And the way I recommend people to think about this, and you can use this for anything. I've shared this with people looking for a new job. I've shared this with a startup founder on how and I'm not getting any traction from investment people. And the bottom line is, stop talking about what you do and start talking about mm. the problem you actually solve. And it might be easy to say, well, yeah, I'm a software developer and I'm working on AI systems right now for better healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, well, I, I might find the part of what you just said interesting. But instead, if you start with the actual problem and, mm-hmm. and say something like, everyone is ha- struggling with healthcare right now, and the prices are going up, and we're having trouble finding good healthcare resources, it feels like. And I bet you have this problem, too. People have had this problem. And I'm working on solutions that use artificial intelligence to deliver better quality of health for people. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're talking o- over dinner now about that, and I've never met you before, I go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Right? And we start thinking just about the work we do differently when we frame the problem first. And I, th- I think mechanically, you can just, anyone listening can put this in practice now for yourself. And when you have those team meetings, I would literally go around the virtual room or the in-person room and say, you know, let's just do this exercise. This is a safe space, everyone. Let's just let's hear everyone frame the problem that you're working on, not in terms of what you're doing, but the problem you're solving. And I find most people get this wrong the first time. And I don't mean wrong like this is terrible, but they just they think about it the way we always have. And so it takes a few times to go, oh, okay, how do I lead with the problem I'm, I'm, I'm solving? Yeah, I, I find it particularly daunting at times from an org structure point of view, because a lot of product folks, I think we are interested in focusing on the customer or the specific problems or the the user journeys that we want to really improve. And often that's not how engineering is organized. And it can't because they're like, well, we don't have a, in your healthcare example, like manage diabetes better team. Like we have a data team, we have a front-end team, we have a quality team, we have a search team. And that that often I find is is a challenge because you want this strong PM eng alignment, but the org structure and the way the products are built have technical constraints and there's logical technical clustering of activities. Have you observed any best practices in how to harmonize a customer-driven product org and often very complex engineering orgs. Yeah, I'm a bit cautious about best practices in, in the sense of, you know, it's really challenging to take someone else's you mm-hmm. know, package, right? Hey, 
do this, right? Apple seems to be successful. Let's just go copy Apple and, and do what they're doing and put it over. I, I really like organic approaches to help groups think about, well, what makes sense for you? And I would just start kind of playing with this notion, start having discussions about, well, how does, I'm in data, I'm in quality assurance. How does my work contribute to our bigger? Why is that important? Because you exist. So if the organization has done a good job structuring the capabilities to make us competitively, give us a competitive advantage out there in the marketplace and the problems that we do solve, then there's a reason why your function exists and why your role exists. And we need to start thinking about, well, what are those connections then between the work I do and the bigger problem that I actually solve? And some people, that's easier for them to get their hands around. Mm -hmm. As a younger engineer, I just cared about solving cool problems. Right, that that was it. I didn't actually care at one time if anyone used the stuff I did or not. I just mm-hmm. like solving cool problems. And probably the first time I had a customer encounter where they talked about the problem they were having and how the stuff that we were making made a difference for them, mm-hmm. that got my attention. Yeah, and I really do th- those roles that are solving the problems for us, the, the engineering roles, the development roles. If we can get them some exposure to customer interaction, that can be really valuable and help them see this bigger picture a little bit about why does the organization even exist? What what is it we're about? So, Chad, you shared with me this PDF that looks at 10 changes for product teams. And one of them is about focusing on the problem. I'd love to kind of share my screen and we can kind of flip through. Sure. This uh, this summer, but yeah, walk us through what what some of the things that you've yeah. discovered are. And this came out of those, and I still do these. Very much enjoy working with companies, and typically they're product management group, but sometimes directors, sometimes executives, mm-hmm. help them think about how to create better products. And at the end of this experience, where we work together, I give them a report based just on my observations of where I think you need to spend some uh, time making changes to move forward faster together. Mm-hmm. And I tend to group them into pretty easy, fast changes like the one I just shared. Reframe the work you do in terms of the problem you solve. So pretty fast change you can make. And then some are bigger changes that need more executive help. And I thought, oh, well, why don't I just pull the most frequent ones I hear, make them a little bit more generic so they're not specific to an organization, and put them together in a list for people. So that's what mm-hmm. this thing is. And we can go anywhere you, you want with those the, what, what, let's start with three there that just says engage with customers. So we all know this, that we need to have our, our contacts with customers so we have our own insights about what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And as organizations scale, that tends to happen less and less for product people. And there's some research out there that says we should be spending about a third of our time with customer contact. And I'm sure that varies all over the board with specific companies. But I ran into one company that changed the requirements for their product manager and said, oh, you're not out with customers anymore. You're an internal resource, and we want you working with the product owners. Like, who is the person now that's getting them for, well, it turns out it's going to be sales. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty common for a lot of companies, right? That the product organization is driven by what we hear from sales. And that's important because we clearly need sales. We do want to optimize our sales capability and have revenue coming in. But at the same time, sales isn't getting the whole picture of what the customer problem is. That's not their job. And as product people, we need to have our own contacts as well with customers and be able to engage customers and talk about that. And sales is a perfectly good place to start. I, I've found often there's salespeople that love, especially in a B2B context, salespeople that love to bring more resources out to the customer and if you just build some relationships with salespeople, you'll have access to all the customers that you want. There's lots of other ways to do this as well, but we, we need customer contact and customer insights. Yeah, on that topic, I've seen a lot of PMs and myself over the years struggle with the demands of executing on these complex projects and ensuring internal alignment to actually launch stuff. Mm-hmm. with having the time to get out of the building and really immerse yourself in the customer experience, especially when you have access to user experience researchers that do amazing work and you get feedback from sales. Is that something that you've seen is a consistent pattern though, where the the, pro- the product teams that have the most success are pretty religious about ensuring that there's 
that minimum level of uh, customer engagement? Uh, I think it's a good practice. So I guess I'm, I'm violating what I just said before about best practices to try to have regular contact with customers on some level. But this certainly does go in waves, right? When we're mm-hmm. looking at building that next version of the product, or maybe we're considering a, a venturing into some new area we haven't yet, then we're going to be you know, more focused on trying to get insights from customers. And, and we might put together some specific market research activities and go spend time uh, doing customer interviews and studying customers and watching how they work and the like. And so you expect this to come in spurts, but it's easy to lose track of that. And like you said, we all get busy with all the demands of, of our job and not make it to those sessions anymore, not be mm-hmm. involved or not even think about leading them, putting them together. Because lots of information are, is available in medium to large organizations that we can rely on. But having some customer contact becomes really important for your own insights. And I, I recently just had a conversation with the VP of product at Wise that makes the home automation type things. Mm-hmm. Their first big product was the Wi-Fi camera. There was a much more expensive camera in the marketplace from the brand leader at the time. And they came out with something that was, you know, like fifteen percent of the cost. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, how, how can you offer something as good? And I bought it as a consumer back then. And went, wow, this this is pretty good. I'm, you know, um, and I talked with him about with, with your. What I suspect would have to be razor-thin margins for the kind of business that you're in with the pricing of your products, how, how do you understand what, what needs to get built? They have a really active community. So they have this fantastic community base that is trying things out, that tries the other the competitors' products and gives feedback to, to Wise in this community. Mm. And so they're making really good use of customers through this community interaction and he's in the community as a product VP. He's in that forum regularly to keep track of things. Then they have community managers for deeper insights. The, the best example, and I don't think most companies can pull this off, but I was so impressed with Snap-on Tools, the director of innovation for Snap-on Tools, which, by the way, is a food chemist that came out of Pepsi. And I, I just love, right, as product people, we know a process and, and mm-hmm. we can help in different industries. But he went to Snap-on Tools that makes tools for mechanics, professional mechanics. And his approach to leading innovation is he's with customers four days a week. That's his approach. Wow. How do we innovate? I am literally with customers all day, four days a week. And he's bringing, he just cycles through product people in the organization, right? It's like, hey, Tom, we're going to yeah. go spend three days in Nebraska watching this team install wind turbines. And they're using our tools, and, and let's see what they do. Hmm. Fantastic. And, and next week, he's picking someone else up and says, hey, we're going to go over here. And that's how they lead innovation. And I, I know people are listening to that and say, there's no way. There's no way. But gosh, I'm so impressed with what Wise has done with their community and there's ways for us to get customers involved and get better insights than we probably have right now. Yeah, one of the, I think, headwinds to doing that is I think people may over-index a little bit on the famous Henry Ford quote about, oh, if I mm-hmm. ask my customers what they want, they tell me a faster horse. Right. Of course, like you don't want to just be an order taker and do exactly what the customer's requesting necessarily. But this notion that, oh, everyone out there is, is has got this like inner Steve Jobs and you can just come up with stuff. Like, who knows? I mean, I guess we can't ask Steve now, but like, I, it would be interesting to kind of try to find that balance. Like you're, you want to engage with customers. You're not trying to parrot what they're saying. Right. But you really do need to understand the nuance of how they're using your stuff and the problems that they're solving. And the more you get detached from that, it, it just always results in these avoidable kind of product decisions that yep. end up costing you a lot of money. Yeah. And my example about that, Steve Jobs, I like your Henry Ford reference, Steve Jobs quote about basically don't listen to your customer. They, mm-hmm. they don't know what they want. The point of that is we should not expect our customer to design the solution for them. They, right. they can't do that. But, you know, if I had sat down with Jobs when he was starting to think about the MP3 player, you know, there I had the Rio Sport on my desk, which was this bright yellow, waterproof, round thing. Mm-hmm. But I think I could maybe load up maybe about a CD worth of music on it, right? 15, 20 songs or so mm-hmm. on this MP3 player. And if, we, if he was talking to me about my use of that, 
I could have clearly articulated my problems with it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we wanted as product people. My, my key problem with that was it just, it takes much more time than I want it to just get music on it. And I don't do it often enough that this is an easy process. And it's kind of a pain. Okay, I'm going to the gym. Oh, I, I want new music. I plug it in on my computer and maybe it's a CD I have to rip to get on there. And it, it just takes longer than I want for all that. And so a way to make that faster, that would have been great. And I, I get about a CD worth of music on it each time. That's mm-hmm. another problem. I, I don't have every time that I'm loading new songs for the gym, make this better for me. And maybe that translates into, as we think about as designers, well, what if you could put 10 CDs on it, right? What if you could download music to it directly without connecting it to your computer? What? And we start thinking through how do we solve this problem better? And clearly, Apple does that. That They do spend customer research time understanding customers' problems. Yeah, yeah. And then with the Henry Ford thing, if a customer asked you, hey, I, I need a faster horse, then if you just ask why, you might really kind of get to the real problem they're trying to solve. Let's talk about number two, start with strategy. Sure. What do you yeah. mean by that? And and how do you start with strategy if you lead with the problem? Like it sounds like they might be related. Yeah, yeah. And this one too, through all the work you've done as, as founder and in those roles. The work we do in product exists to, in some way, contribute to the strategy of the organization. And I often find just questions come up along the way about what we sh- should we be doing. And they're often questions that we don't have a clear answer to, in part because we don't understand the strategic objectives of the organization and what the organization is about. And so I think it's really important to go back to what is the strategy of the organization? Why do we exist? What are we trying to become? And right now, what are the strategic objectives? And use that to help guide our product work as well. What should be our product strategy, our product vision for a specific product, and then maybe in general what we do. And that just creates much better alignment and better use of resources. And as an example, I occasionally run into companies that will say, well, yeah, we have a mission, but we don't have a vision statement. We've looked all over and it just doesn't seem like a vision is important to us. Okay. I see that a lot too, right? It Mm -hmm. seems like uh, some companies don't care so much about a a vision. But if we just take as a, if we agree that a vision is where we want to be together in the future, right? What is this company going to be in a few years? Well, then that helps make some product decisions a lot easier. Because with the same company I was working with that had a clear mission, but they had not formulated a vision. Mm -hmm. And we got to a decision point about whether they should acquire this capability. They were thinking Mm -hmm. about moving into this area, should they acquire this capability? Should they build it themselves? Why are they even talking about this capability? We don't have a path yet to really kind of know how it fits in without thinking, what's our bigger strategy here? And so this certainly ties into business, right? This is what our executives should be helping us with in our organizations. It's interesting that railroads were the, the top industry in the U.S. once upon a time. Mm. And if the vision of, rail, of a railroad company was to be the best railroad company possible, versus we're going to be the best transportation company possible, you, you make different decisions along the way, right? Mm-hmm. And the railroad company that makes the best transportation decisions along the way probably would be FedEx today, right? There, it, it changes the work that you do. And so understanding the strategy of the organization becomes important as product people to help us do a better job aligning to what matters to the company. What do you mean by share high-value resources? Uh, again, as I've worked with companies, they almost always have more insights about their customers than people know about. And, and there's two ways this comes in, into play. One is just knowing that th- these resources exist. And this can be, a, as a product person, you go talk to uh, a marketing director and say, you know, we're starting to work more with this market segment over here. We got this product that already serves them, and we, we are getting ready to do our next version of that. And we're thinking about what else... Can we solve for these people? And the marketing director might have some really good resources available. Some of these might just be paid publications that tells us trends and insights. And very likely, they're likely doing some research on our customer segments and have data that's not getting into our hands as product people. And there's all kinds of pockets. I find salespeople that are going out and Mm. routinely making their after-visit, after-customer-visit notes that we know nothing about. I have found longitudinal studies that marketing groups do that says, hey, we're looking for trends across our key customers, and every two years we do this big study. Product people know nothing about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's resources in place that we could 
make better use of if, if we just know that they existed. Tell me a little bit about why you think that doesn't get shared. Because I, I, I seem to have lately been thinking a lot more about how important organizational structure and incentives are. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about sales, like, well, if sales is your primary source of customer engagement, like you're going to hear stuff through a lens that consciously or unconsciously is optimized for closing deals this quarter. And I'm curious about, have you noticed that as well, or any observations on how the whole organization is structured and and where where product falls within and how it engages with these other functions as part of, I guess, maybe sharing of the resources? Yeah, I think, and I suspect, Tom, you're, you're wired this way too, just based on your past experiences. As product people, this doesn't come naturally because none of us are educated this way, but I think over time we recognize the value of cross-functional work. Mm-hmm. And to get anything done, we're working with multiple functions in the organization. And we tend to develop over time more of a systems perspective. And we look mm-hmm. at the organization as a integrated system. Yes. And every now and then, one of us gets, one of us gets slapped down because we'll, we'll have someone in authority tell us, just stay in your lane. You don't need to be worried about what's going on over there because we see inefficiencies because we're working across the functions and, mm-hmm. and we see some issues that could be. And most people, we go to school, we get trained in our function, we end up in the company, and we're, we're kind of tied to our function. And we see the organization in terms of almost a boundary, a, a silo of what we do. And sometimes we're even told by our managers, well, you don't need to worry about what's going over in that on in that function. Just mm-hmm. get your work done. And I think some of these, any of these resources get purchased or they do the research, the marketing study to see what our customers are doing over time because they're doing, they're trying to solve a problem. They have a need and they're trying to solve a problem. And so they buy that resources. They engage in the research to get the information to solve the problem. And they don't think about who else in the organization could that information also help. And there's no malice here, right? This, mm-hmm. this is just they're, they're getting their, their job done and they're solving the problem they have in front of them. Because we work cross-functionally, we just need to be aware, you know, that, that gosh, no doubt today there's resources in your organization that you don't, if, except if you're a startup. If you're a startup, you might know about these. <laughs> but if you're a medium to big size, medium large company, there's resources you don't know about. And marketing is probably a reasonable place to start. If an organization has a strategy function, they're mm. a good place to look at too. Let's talk about clarify the customers. What do you mean with that? Yeah, th- this is just, w- we throw around customers kind of generically, especially in a B2B context. And e- even in, in B2C, we have different customer segments that we're hitting at times. Mm-hmm. But we talk about our customer and in the B2B context, that can get muddy quickly and I had, had this one uh, really fun experience. I, I was going through the Lean Canvas. So Ash Mariah's Lean Canvas to help us think about basically a business case for a product. And it's based on Alex Walter's business canvas. Mm-hmm. And both very good tools. You go through nine blocks to identify information about the business case. And in the Lean Canvas, since you... One, you start with the customer, who's your customer segment, and they, then you talk about the problem they have, and then you talk about your solution to their problem, and you get to the value proposition and, and work through some revenue information and the like. And so we, th- this was a project that was had gotten slowed down and pe- seemed like people got lost about what this project was about and what the vision of the product was going to be and, and all that. So great, let's get everyone on the same page. Literally, we're going to use the Lean Canvas to get everyone on the same page. And we had we talked through the customer, and we had a director VP sort of person in the exercise, and then another director VP sort of person in the exercise, and then some product managers and, and engineers. And so we start we go from the customer, we start talking about solution to that, what that is, and we start talking about how that's impacting the customers. And we're getting to the point where we're talking about a value proposition. Mm-hmm. And I notice as we start talking about the value proposition that one VP is talking about the customer now a little bit differently than the other VP. Mm-hmm. And it turns out we have two very different customers in mind as we're talking about this. And I didn't pick up on it until then. Mm-hmm. When we talked about who the customer was, we were all using the same words, but in yeah. our heads, they clearly meant very different things. And this happens all the time. 
And it just gets messy when you when we talk about our customers and what we're doing for them, as opposed to maybe the specific role that they have. If I'm working with a lighting company, are we talking about the distributor? Are we talking mm-hmm. about the architect? Are we talking about the person that does contracts? Who do you mean by the customer? And clarifying that can help us. Love it. I know we're running a little short on time, but sure. I did want to... P- quickly put up the next five kind of lessons. Hold on one second. Share screen. I'm having a different tab. Let's see here. Yeah. And as you're doing it, I think I know what you're bringing up. The first five I put together in this mm-hmm. PDF were ones that you as an individual can implement you know, pretty easily and get others to help you with. These five are bigger things that need probably more executive, higher level input to help us with. And just to walk through them real quick, the yeah. uh, portfolio management, Usually, we're trying to make decisions around where are we spending our money and how does that work to the overall portfolio and manage all that. So there's some help that needs to be done with portfolio management and even just getting us on the same page about what are the buckets in our portfolio? How do we talk about the different kinds of products in our portfolio? They're not all the same. They have different different reasons for existing. Now, some are going to generate revenue now. Some are going to generate revenue mm-hmm. later. Some enter new markets for us. Some extend our markets. Some are higher risk projects that help us get used to new technologies. So understanding the buckets can be helpful for that. The project selection, everyone I talk to has more ideas and more projects they want to do than resources to do. And we feel pulled in so many ways. And I talk to product teams that feel like they're just stuck in quicksand, that like we can't get anything moving because there's always someone coming along with a new idea that needs attention and we're just moving between projects and not really moving anything forward. Hmm. This stems out of portfolio management. Uh, If we can get some criteria for selecting projects and being more judicious with, that's very helpful. That kind of relates to the next one, which is do more with less. If we say one organization I was in, we had about 120 product projects going on at once. So this is all scale, right? It depends on the size of the organization. And their average time to get one of those projects out was two years. So the average life of a project in that chain was two years. Mm -hmm. Gosh, well, instead of the 120, what if we focused on the 10 that were most important that could generate revenue in six months if we got them doing more, focusing where our resources are often results in more as well. So managing the product life cycle, this is the product life cycle I'm talking about here is what happens after we launch the product to the marketplace. And we see growth and hopefully many more customers come in and we see maturity. And then that starts getting picked up on competitors' radar and they are taking actions to take some of our customers away. And there's almost always opportunities there to keep products alive longer if we're paying attention to how they're actually doing in the marketplace. And in many organizations, this is the job of a product market as opposed to a product manager. But I find titles evolve quickly and, mm-hmm. and you have to know what they mean in your organization. But this is likely someone in marketing thinking about how to make your product more competitive. And the interesting thing is, if you are that person in marketing, or if you were the product manager helping with the development of that next version of the product or the new product, we have insights about the customer's problem and maybe things that we heard verbatim about how to position this that are really helpful to that marketing person as they're managing the life cycle. So if we can integrate that information, that's really helpful there. And the 10th one, maximize the benefit of a product process. Or organizations have processes in place. Sometimes, uh, probably often, we know the process, but we don't really know why we're doing all the things we're doing. Backing up and getting some deeper knowledge. I've been in companies where they have a product process and it was created by other people and none of those people are involved now. Mm. And they know how to follow the process, but they don't really understand why the different pieces exist. So you don't really have mastery over the tool you're using, and you don't know when to change it for a different situation. And at the same time, there's organizations that have lots of different processes in place. And that becomes a drag on the organization as well. If I'm moving from one project to another project and we're doing something different each time, that's challenging. So I think it's wise to have more than one process because you probably need a more nimble process for certain situations that are less complex and more routine and probably a process that is better for the more complicated products and things that are newer to you and unknown to you. But getting everyone up to speed on this is how we design, how we develop, how we get products to the marketplace is really helpful. So you're not reinventing that wheel each time with a new group or a new project. 
I love it. I And I know I, a lot of people that will be watching this will see familiar themes here in our day to day and super, super thought provoking. Chad, how can people who want to learn more about the work you do sort of access more information or engage more with, with you and, uh, yeah, and, sure. and the stuff you're looking at? Yeah. First, it's just a great pleasure to be with you on, on Fireside PM. I love your background and how you've learned so much about product and the work that you've done as a founder and now they're at Google as well. And just bringing great information to the community. So really appreciate it. Obviously, anyone that wants to check out another podcast, Product Mastery Now, then your favorite podcast player, great resource. And you'll hear Tom on there shortly as well. We recorded, but we haven't published that one yet. If you want to see this list of things we just talked through about challenges that organizations face and things that you can do to uh, help with that in your product teams, your product groups, uh, you'll find that resource at productmasterynow.com slash love because it's intended to help us create products that customers love and uh, some things that we can fix up there. So productmasterynow.com slash L-O-V-E, love. And that's productmasterynow.com is where you can find out more about the work I do. I'm on LinkedIn and glad to respond to LinkedIn connection requests and engage in conversations. I always help. I always enjoy helping people get pointed to the right resources. And Tom, you're on that list of resources now as you do some great coaching with people too and help people become better product people as well. But people that are looking for help in some area, I often, if it's not something I can help with, I often have resources I can point people to. So LinkedIn's a great way to connect with me. Love it. And I just sent you a connection request, I think this morning. So I'm oh, glad that we'll be connected as well. And Thank you so much for sharing all of this great kind of advice and observations and insights. On a weekday morning, you really must love product management if you're going to talk about it on your weekend. It's Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, with that, I'm going to let you go, but hopefully we'll continue the conversation very soon. Thanks, Tom. Great pleasure. Take care, Chad. Bye. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.